Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with sports scientist and strength and conditioning coach, Martin Bouchard. Thanks for tuning in to episode 167 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I know I say it every single week, but I am absolutely delighted to get Martin on the podcast uh, to have a chat. So we are, just to kind of give you a bit of a background, we're going to do a part two uh, later, probably uh, start of 2018, more in the training chat. But in the meantime, this episode focuses on some of the editorials and some of the papers that, that Martin has published and the reasons for them and kind of his views on a number of different areas, including uh, applied research, um, the use of statistics, uh, how they're used, uh, and potentially a little bit of a, an insight into Martin's views on um, what sh- how they should be used in, uh, in research, but also how he uh, bridges that gap. And I think he does it fantastically with his kind of research head, but also his uh, applied knowledge as well. So Martin mentions uh, a bunch of different links in this episode. So if you fire over to strengthofscience.com forward slash 167, that'll give you a bit of a, a blurb on, on the episode itself, what mine covers, but also links to all the editorials um, on his site, as well as obviously um, the, the link to the homepage of his site, as well as his his new project, which we talk, which we talk extensively about, um, and is uh, going to be superb for the industry, um, and just needs a bunch of people to get involved um, as much as they can. That's why I don't believe in uh, just dropping um, dropping a report on a desk, but I believe in uh, first of all sitting with uh, with those guys. Sitting uh, sometimes you can't you can't sit in them on desk because they're too busy or they don't think. It looks good if you're the head coach to, to sit with a, with a sports scientist, but you might catch them at lunch. You might catch them when they get out of the shower. That's, that's, my, that's my best uh, window to catch coaches. When they're scratching their balls, they are super, they have nothing else to do. So when they, when they dry themselves, they have at least 30 seconds to listen to you. So that's a very good, uh, good window. But just before we get into the chat with Martin, I just want to say a big thanks to Force Dex for sponsoring this episode today. So as you probably heard, a bunch of guests on the podcast use Force Dex and speak very, very highly of it. So if you are wanting a Force, uh, Force platform software and hardware solution, get yourself over to ForceDex.com or follow them on Twitter at ForceDex. I interviewed Dr. Daniel Cohen, who is one of the co-owners of Forstex, on episode 139 of the podcast. So feel free to check that out. It's certainly not a sales pitch. Again, as I say every week, um, it gives you a, a ton of information on jump monitoring as a whole. Also, big thanks to Valve Performance, makers of the Nordboard, Groin Bar, and all-new Human Track. So over the last couple of weeks, I know the guys uh, from Valve have been on the road um, showcasing uh, human track to a bunch of baseball guys and, and a load, t- tons of guys in America who have been wowed by the, um, the motion capture system that has been brought out by Val Performance. So if you want more information on human track, go over to valdeperformance.com or follow them on Twitter at Val Performance. 
So over to the podcast with Martin. Hope you enjoy, and as always, would love any feedback. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So absolutely delighted this evening to get Martin Bouchet onto the podcast. So welcome to the podcast, Martin. Hey, hey, hey Rob. Thanks for having me in. No, it's a pleasure, mate. I hope I didn't completely butcher your uh, your surname. Um, but anyone that doesn't know who you are, just want to give us a little bit of a background on yourself and um, and what you're currently doing. Yeah, yeah, uh, sure. So um, to make short, let's put it this way, that I've always been super, super passionate about training. And since my early age, I just loved uh, training myself and learning about uh, about strength and conditioning in overall. And I think I was probably 12 or 14 when I really decided what would be my, my future job. I wanted to be coach. So um, I, I tried to to take every to seize every opportunity to to move on into that direction and I was lucky enough to start um, coaching handball um, which is my, my sport initially um, and then ended up being the SNC of the the, the, the the youth national coach the national team for the, the, the women in France um, and then further on getting a bit more involved in, in different clubs a bit of consulting and I would say that I really turned into the, the sports science side of, of the things only at the uni. And it, it was more for me for, as a way to better understand my practice as a, as a strength and conditioning coach. So I like to say that I'm first a, a strength and conditioning coach who turned into a, an applied and pretty excited uh, strength, uh, sorry, sports scientist uh, later. That, put, that brought me in, uh, in Aspire. In, in Qatar, and I think you had a few few guests already. Uh, been consulting uh, some AFL clubs, which has been amazing in terms of experience for me to to learn from their practice. Um, on the side, uh, working a bit for the French Football Federation as well, on the sports science side aspect, uh, and now more recently uh, in uh, in elite football. So I'm just I think I'm I'm just now having the the, the job I always wanted to be. So. A blend between uh, the, the the applied aspects of uh, delivering coaching sessions, uh, but also having the the rationality of the the, the science uh, behind. So, yeah, so I'm I'm, I'm very lucky with uh, what I'm doing at the moment. Do you think that's something missing in people that are coming out of university, whether it be with an undergrad, masters, PhD, in boxing themselves as a sports scientist, that they haven't or aren't interested or what for whatever reason haven't been in the gym don't enjoy the coaching don't enjoy being in front of the players is that something that's missing do you think people are kind of going one way or the other rather than meeting in the middle and doing both yes well i don't know everyone is still uh, obviously free to to choose the the pass uh, that they want but like like to me of course to be a really good strength and conditioning coach you need obviously to open yourself to the science to get out of uh, out of your 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 common uh, knowledge and or improve improve yourself and on the other side, uh, I'm definitely I definitely think that you can't be a good uh, sports scientist if you're not uh, in contact with, uh, with with sports. So um, I've been always pushing people, and that's that's the way I grew up as well. So trying to to get a bit of both world all the time. Um, for both development and make sure you you work on, in the right direction. So yeah, I would say that you you definitely need to be uh, active on on both sides. Yeah. And we'll come back to we'll come back to that in in a bit. But what I did want to mention um, is 
a nice little segue, not a nice little segue, but a nice little segue into um, some of the stuff and the project, the newest project that you've got going on. I know you've got tons going on, as you've just just mentioned, but it'd be nice to have a little chat around um, the project you've got going on and why you felt it was necessary to to put the time in and, and get the guys involved that you've got involved uh, and just talk a little bit about about it, really. Yeah, sure. No, that's that, that's that's really good to have the opportunity to talk about that. So, um, so yeah. So to mention the, the the new platform that we we launched um, with Yann um, Lemer and uh, Mathieu Lacombe. So Matt, Matt, uh, Mathieu Lacombe works now w- with me. He's a very very uh, very passionate and very hard worker. Uh, worked with the with the um, French Rugby Federation for several years. He's full on into sports science, applied world as well. So it's very, very good. Uh, Yann Lemer that everyone everyone knows through the infographics. And we came up with this uh, new new platform here online, Sports Performance and Science Reports. And it's kind of, hopefully, the new, the new approach to deliver and share uh, sports science uh, knowledge. But let's say, if you want a bit of history behind that, um, it's something that I think we had all in our minds for, for a while. Uh, could be Jan on his side, could be myself, and I'm sure a lot of people uh, that actually listen to the podcast as well. Um, just having the thing that the, what is the, the way research is actually processed, uh, conducted, and delivered is that probably not, not good enough. And it's been, uh, it's been maybe the, the more and more I've been in contact with, uh, with coaches and in the, in the elite, uh, in elite business, you just realize that yeah we, we were just missing missing so much the, the reality um like i've been with, with coaches and i said the coaches on on, a, on our side on, on the good side who will be interested in, in in research put it this way because i can comment as well on 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 the other type of uh, of, of practitioners which uh, are a bit less open to what we might uh, offer to them but let's say even working with people open to that, like I will come in the office, tell about, with chatting with a coach, yeah, you've seen this new paper, and having the paper in my hands, trying to, to put the, the, the paper on, the, on his desk, and he would just say, uh, no, I can't be bothered reading, just tell me, okay, what do they say in the end? And you realize that actually it's a paper that these guys may have spent two years on it, like they spent six years or a year in collecting the data, and they spend another year trying to get it published, and this guy, He's a, he's a coach. He's even he's super open. He loves the research and innovation. He just wants to, he just wants you to tell him in a in a sentence what are the study findings, and um, same with players, same with everyone. You, you just you just realize the the gap or, or just yeah the the, the dissociation the, in between all the efforts and everything that 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 the, the work it requires. On the, 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 the academic side, and what people just need, they just need a sentence. They just need more or less a summary. Um, and obviously, you realize that the, the way at the moment research is disseminated, disseminated is just not, not good enough, uh, not appropriated, put it this way, both in terms of content and in terms of, of, uh, of format. Um, so I don't know, we can, we can be. Go deeper into those, those both aspects uh, if you want now. Or no, absolutely. No, that's fine. Uh, I mean, is that, is that, that reaction of that coach exactly the reason why Jan's been so successful with his infographics yes, and Jackie Tran with her um, sketch notes and things like that. Yes, and, and the, the stuff you you started you just even the podcast you know mm-hmm. 
you just put put your earphones, you go for a run, and and bang, you get you get knowledge, you get content, you get stuff that, and which is good with the podcast as well. You get access to stuff that are not written anywhere, so it's even better to me. So I, I would say that you know in university the the, the stuff that are really taught are so so far from being uh, useful. Like I don't know, I think about I can talk about myself, but I'm pretty sure a lot of people we have the same opinion. But you get out of the uni, um, you still don't know anything. Uh, like all the, the the training methodologies, the 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 the, the sport science, the, the stuff that I learned, I learned I learned through learn it through experience, through through travels, through uh, just going to see other people working, through experience uh, a bit everywhere, but not from the uni. That's that stuff that are not um, written. So that's why I think the podcast is just a, an amazing uh, resource, and uh, that's why I always compliment you for for what have you do you you've been doing and. You're, you're not you're not the only one, of course, but I think podcasts are great resources for that. Um, that's, that's that's both. I think in terms of podcasts, is both the content and the format. Um, but then there's a problem. Just uh, let's start. If you start with just with content, you have a lot of papers who are just completely missing the point, and that's why I wrote this uh, editorial. Um, a couple of months ago about uh, which title was uh, Houston we still we still have a problem <laughs> is that you really have the impression that we as sports scientists we're just in, in, in orbit so we're just gravitating around Earth as a metaphor for gravitating around the, the, the real elite sport you know just in our own bubbles in our own orbits but completely disconnected from from the real needs um, so it's just so many examples, you know, where you have good science, good research, so some quality measurements. Uh, let's take, again, no offense for those those people, but um, assessing the effect of a repeated sprint uh, training program on a bike uh, in hypoxia. Uh, you have to repeat two or three sessions a week for a couple of weeks. Okay, great. They show the effect. Works better than the same training program in normoxia, for example. Um, okay, great. But now just think of what people do in, in elite football, in, elite, in our football. What do they do? There's no way you can fit even one repeated spread session on a bike. Off season, we will say, oh, but you, you, can't, you can't spend your time on a bike because you need to, to play, you need to be on the pitch. And in season, you just don't have time to smash the players uh, because uh, they just have to play and, and train and play. And so even though the, the topic of the study is pretty good and it's a good research, good physiology, there's just no application at all. So I think that's a typical type of paper will stay on in, in orbit. Um, another paper looking at kinetics, neuromuscular recovery kinetics of uh, athletes uh, rep mimicking or replicating a football game on a treadmill. And you look at the recovery of their muscular, muscular muscle soreness, muscular strength, and so on. Uh, again, very good research, um, but you're just missing the treadmill. You don't get the eccentric phase. You don't get contacts. So, as a practitioner, what can you do knowing the kinetics of the recovery after a run on a treadmill? Nothing. And it's super good research, but it doesn't bring anything to the practitioners. And I think that's when you have this kind of research, as us, as like. For, for my role at the moment as a kind of sports scientist, performance guy on the field with uh, with coaches and athletes, you just discredit yourself because 
you, like, you, you can't even send them uh, such, uh, such papers. They will look at you and say, okay, you, and you guys, you spend your time doing this kind of research, but it's, you, you're hopeless. This research is hopeless, so you, 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 you're hopeless too, you know? And that is a big problem with this, uh, the, the, the disconnection. It's, uh, and obviously, there's a lot of um, uh, things that should be implemented uh, to, to overcome this or to, to get better on that. But it comes a lot for the, the overall attitude of researchers themselves. They just probably sometimes think too often that they're just uh, too good to to need that they don't need to even ask anyone to to what they need. Like, like I like to say that sports scientists, me included, at some stage, we spend our lives and energy to to build a, a spaceship, but we never requested or asked to land on the moon. So I think that's the best example as well. Mm-hmm. So what? So why? So what is in the mind of the researcher when? So talk us through that process. So you, you mentioned that you may have done this in the past, which is quite nice because we can actually talk about you rather than hammering other people. Um, yes, what, yes, yes. What's, what's the process you went through? So looking back at the papers that you wrote, what's the process you went through to get to the question that you thought needed answering without actually thinking about the practitioner that you now are? You know, how do you yes. get to write the paper even though you knew it wasn't for you now? You know what I mean? No, no, sure. I think there's... Two, two caveats of that. The first is you are just thinking as an academic. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the, the, the further from, from the field. And you just think papers, publications, journals, in fact, factors. So you have good data. You have the feeling that it's something like you use a, a super machine. Uh, you can use, a, I don't know, transcranial stimulation. No one has that. And it's oh, okay, a swimmer never got disanalyzed uh, when he farts in the water. Okay, let's measure that. <laughs> And, and, and you know it's going to be published yeah. because no one in the world has access to the, those swimmers and those, uh, those technology. And it's going to be published and, and, and you, might do, uh, you might publish that into G-Physiol and you're super happy. So it's kind of a competition into this world. So fair enough, but don't expect to go and see the swimmers and tell them their, their studies, you know, their, their, your results. But that's, that's a bit too far, but there's still a lot of people happy with that. And f- that's if... For them, the Graal is not to help people on the field, is to get more paper and higher impact factors. So I think that's one category and we don't even need to, to talk more about that category. I think the, the, the worst, worst category, put it this way, is those, those guys, me including, uh, often, thinking that we're doing good, good research, good sports science, but thinking that we know enough about the field we think that we know enough about the needs and we say, okay, I'm sure uh, these guys will be happy with no- knowing uh, that if you repeat sprint or I don't know, like, uh, and you, you see an opportunity with data you have. Uh, it's, it's, uh, the stuff I, I've been involved to, uh, sleeping patterns. Okay, I'm sure people will be super happy to detect their sleep stages uh, so that they know if they slept well or not. That's, that sounds, uh, that sounds uh, useful, put it this way, if you're in a lab. Okay, so let's 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 do a study. Let's look at heart rate response when they change from uh, slow wave sleep to REM. You you obs- and you find out that uh, every time they change they the, the sleep stages they swift sorry they switch from one stage sleep to another one, they get a, a, a higher arousal and heart rate peaks to above uh, one one forty one fifty beats even when you're sleeping. Pretty cool finding. No one no one would expect that your heart rate increase so high when you sleep. 
and you say, okay, we get we have something to detect sleep uh, with a heart rate monitor. So you think you're going, you've done something super good, but then you work in a club and you just try to find someone willing to sleep with a heart rate monitor. And after six months, you, have, you haven't found two players willing to do that. In the end, you have a super ID, but it's just not impossible to implement. And that's stuff I've done, for example. So I just shot myself a bullet in the foot because I thought I had a good idea, but at this time I wasn't working with top players and I have no, I just thought that they would do it, but they're not willing to do it, you know? So what advice would you give to researchers to try to bridge that gap? Because I know we had, Um, there is stuff going on, obviously out there. Um, Ben Jones at at Leeds Beckett, who came on the podcast, Leeds Beckett linking in with Leeds Rhinos in Super League and Yorkshire and Egan Rugby Union, that type of thing. But is that going on enough? That's clearly not going on enough. What do these researchers need to I, do? By the way, I really, really enjoyed the Ben Jones uh, podcast. And I've, I've seen his talk on, um, on one of the Catapult conference. And that was, that, was just, that was brilliant. So, And there's a lot of others. I'm sorry if I don't uh, cite everyone, but there's a few other really good stuff on, on, on that. Uh, I think it goes back to the overall personality of 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 researchers in overall is that just take the time and accept to understand or accept that you can't you can't understand everything on your own and accept that you probably need to make contact with people in the field at least to get to get an idea of what they really want to know or what their needs so just they just have to understand or we have to understand not that we shouldn't stay just in the uni and create partnerships, links. So I was just went mentioning uh, earlier, so that's just pushing, advising people to be on both worlds. Like again, talking about, a little bit about me, so I, ne- I didn't have the chance to be involved in, a, in the type of uh, PhDs that are, that are implemented in, in UK, New Zealand, Australia, you know, and other countries where you have the PhD students involved in the club with a link with the uni. So. In, I think that's that's the that's the the, the ideal uh, structure. So you're connecting, you're running, you're running your PhD, but at the same time you're in the club. Like personally, in, in or like in, in France, this kind of PhD doesn't exist. If you do a PhD, you are the uni hundred percent. But at this time, I was still involved a lot in coaching. So I was coaching a, a first uh, first team handball team, and I, I said when I started the PhD, I said there's no way I will spend all my days at the at, in the lab. I will be probably four or five hours a day minimum uh, in the gym. So take it or leave it or whatever. So I was lucky enough that uh, my supervisor was happy with that. We're happy with that. And in the end, I think by chance, I created for myself this kind of joint uh, PhD uh, structure, having one foot at the uni and the other one in, in the gym or in the club. And that just, that just teach you to, to, to answer the right question. So as a student, that's definitely the way I would definitely suggest people to, to, to build their, their, their scholarship. And for established uh, sports scientists, just to make sure they keep a link, affiliation or whatever with clubs, and for those to feed, to feed them with their, with their, with their questions. Um, but further than that, I really, really believe for the type of, of science that I'm interested in, so direct application from the field. I believe that the best structure is uh, now what we call the research and development departments, you know, which are um, 
just uh, to me the, the the best way to get the right answer. Um, you have every day you're sitting on a lot of data at the club. Uh, you have daily questions. So if you're lucky enough to work with with coaches, supporting staff that are willing to learn from just willing to learn new stuff, willing to learn from their mistake. If you really implement a kind of a, a habits to, to to get your data in, to go to retrospective analysis, I think you can you can you have a research topic every single day, and hence if you have people at the club able to do that, uh, it just it, it's gold, you know. Could be could be could be could be a, a research paper every day. And that that's another question, but at least it's a research, it's a good research paper in terms in sense that that's something that's it's it's uh, relevant, and that's probably uh, what we're trying to this kind of research that we're trying to attract in this uh, our new platform, the sport performance and science reports uh, with my French mace is that we really really designed and uh, like the guidelines and the the, the way the the journal is structured is is just more or less an abstract figure table. It's an extended abstract and a few figures. It fits on one or two pages with uh, the idea that people in clubs, even if they don't have a super organized or well-structured research and development, and I've been working with almost hundreds of uh, sports scientists in different clubs, who friends, consulting, visits or whatever. And I know that in every single club, especially you take uh, UK football, AFL, um, these, these, these sports scientists are just super good. They know, they know, they know to create uh, reports. They play with the data. They do a bit of stats. They do, they, they so they, they do research on a daily basis. Um, so we, what we hope is that because of the format is not too much restricting, that they will just hopefully find a few more hours and be able to send, uh, to submit something to the, to the platform. Because again, I believe that writing an abstract putting a few results together, drawing a figure, that's accessible to, to every sports scientist in a, in a club or in a, in, a, in a federation. So they should be able to send some, da- some data to us and hopefully this data should be the most uh, relevant and the most uh, useful for the, for the community. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that... Yeah, on, sorry, on, go ahead. You crack on. No, uh, yeah, and on top of that, there's no reviewing process with uh, our platform. So you just submit, it's accepted... Uh, almost directly as long as paper uh, fits in uh, in the guidelines and conform with uh, the format it's it's published directly so just please for all the listeners and everyone uh, um, <laughs> I would yeah that's that's an official advertisement guys so <laughs> if you are a sports scientist in, in a club uh, you're sitting on super good data you have a lot of cool super cool stuff so please take four hours three four five hours a day put an abstract, send it to us, and the day after it's published. It will be reference, so that's some, not something sitting like a... It's supposed to have a bit more value than just a blog, you know, because mm-hmm. it's reference. And you still... So people, especially academics, will say, yeah, I can't be bothered sending anything to you guys because it's not peer-reviewed, so that's no value. Fair enough, but that was our, our goal as well. Because I've been sick, or we've been all sick to have to wait 16, 16 months or 18 or two years to get uh, to see a paper finally in print. So with that, you submit and two days after it's, it's printed. So that's very good. So we kind of short or uh, kind of cutting the reviewing process. 
But still, and I think that's a very important point, papers are open for comments. So anyone can comment on the papers once published and just tell how bad or good or cool or everything should, should be changed, and that that's open. And us as editors, we're just trying to ensure that if comments are posted, that the authors will take into account these comments and eventually amend, correct the paper accordingly. So you may have papers, uh, version 2, version 3, uh, just because they've been evolving. And I think in the end, that's even better than a normal journal paper, um, like a typical journal paper, because I'm being editor myself for several journals. You can't imagine how sometimes the reviewing process is just, uh, well, it's a pain in any way. Uh, you never find anyone willing to review. And sometimes you just get papers reviewed by, in the end, one reviewer. And he's been so late, and you ask him, you send him reminders uh, five times, and he, if, in the end, he just sends you three lines saying, okay, the, the paper is okay. And, um, and I think that's sometimes how crap papers get, uh, sub, get, get published, you know? And they're going to stay crap. And just because they've been through, people will think that they're super good, irrespective of if they applied or not. But now I'm just talking about the, the science. The, 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 is, it, is it good science or not? And you get a lot of stuff published which are not good science because they just went through by luck uh, through the reviewing process. And they will stay like that. So my our argument is that with our platform, because people can comment post-publication, if it's crap, it might be you may have the chance that the paper might get improved through the time through the comments. So in the end, the fact that it's still, um, you can modify, it's uh, something uh, that, can be, that can be changed, you might end up by having something on the long term with a higher quality. See, see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. No, 100%. Sounds great. So people need to just get in touch with you or set, just send it straight through as long as it fits the guidelines? As long as it fits the guidelines, yes, fire, like it, every, fire yeah. Everything, yeah, yeah. And um, having discussed that with you, Rob, we may have on the top of that uh, trying to link our abstract with your uh, videos as well. Absolutely, hundred percent. Right. That's so my. That's in the that's in the pipeline. So that's that's amazing. That's amazing. Yes, yes. Absolutely. I mean, for for me, it's just adding another dimension to the written word, and people can <clears throat> access a video whether they're I don't know making the tea or not in the car because they have to watch a video, but if they're a passenger in a car, they can watch it and just, yeah, it doesn't have to be written, but it just, it just supplements the, the work that you guys are doing. So hopefully it's, it's complimentary rather than exactly. instead of. Yeah. 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 So, and as, as I said, it's about both the content and the format. Cost. Um, because having the, the idea, maybe I repeat myself a little bit, but having bad content, uh, we're going to stay in orbit having good content but not appreciated format we're still in orbit either as well you know so you need good contents that's with data coming from the clubs with question coming from the field you improve the content for sure and then the the format uh audio short very short report one two page even my busy coach might have a look at least to to a one page while you won't be you won't have a look to a full paper obviously infographics and there was a pretty cool um, paper as well in one of the Aspetar journal from uh, Christian Barton. And he, he wrote a bit something a bit similar in the British recently, 
where it's something like it's not about it's not it's not anymore publish or perish, but it's being uh, visible or or perish. You know, uh, putting a lot of emphasis on social media, infographics, and everything. And that's key. You know, you can be, but killing yourself, spending three years on a PhD, um, even though in that case you've done super cool and helpful and helpful and useful research. But if it just stays uh, on a journal which is not open access, no one will read it, you know. And that's just uh, it's a tragedy. Such a, such an amount of energy, and no one able to read it. It's a it's a pain. So that's why, yeah, as, as I said, you guys doing an amazing job with the, the podcast, the audio, and hopefully our our report will be something helping on both hands, helping people to write something when they're too busy or don't have the skills to write a full paper. So better content submitted. And because of the of the easy format, something that gets read easily as well, and that's why we had uh, before the launch of the platform, we had a, a, a big picture of a of a of a rocket or a, a spaceship written uh, back on Earth. So everything, yeah, back on Earth, back from the orbit. That that that's the main idea. Was the main idea. Just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Martin. Hope you enjoyed part one. In part two, uh, you'll hear Martin taking the mick out of me for the uh, the introduction of the podcast, which I, I'll let Martin off given that he's uh, given up an hour of his time to, uh, to chat so openly about the, his views uh, and his experiences. But just before we get back to part two, I just want to say a big thanks to Blackbox for also sponsoring this episode today. So Blackbox are leaders in performance training equipment and facility design based in Belfast in Northern Ireland. Um, so they design and build performance facilities um, which are manufactured in Belfast, but they distribute their equipment all around the world from Dubai to uh, Everton Football Club. So um, if you do want to check them out and learn a little bit more about Blackbox, you can uh, visit them online at blkboxfitness.com. So over to part two with Martin. I hope you enjoy. Just touching on the uh, editorial again, the Houston Wiz dealer problem. Um, you mentioned in there statistics and linking back to the kind of in-house research um, that you mentioned. Why, why don't you agree with, or why did you write what you wrote in that editorial about statistics and what advice can you give to people who are potentially um, doing the kind of uh, traditional peer-reviewed research, but also going through your platform? What advice would you give to them guys with regards to stats? Yes. Uh, again, uh, as you know, that's a topic that I'm super uh, excited about, a very sensitive topic for me. Uh, first of all, I try to to write it every, can I, every time I say, but I think us as the, the sport community, and myself, I think we will never be thankful enough uh, to or with to to Will Hopkins for the stuff he's done for us. I like to say, and every time I see him, I, I say it again that he changed my life. This guy, um, because obviously there's the start aspect, but it's it's more the approach of dealing with data that he he changed my, he changed my life uh he changed my he, he he's, he's been just so influential to me um because you start to look at data differently you know and that's that's the other paper i wrote like the numbers will love you back in return or something like that <laughs> yes you know you just start to love your data because what you do with this data becomes uh that, that becomes um 
uh, that makes sense, you know, be, becomes real. Um, it's just about, uh, it just makes things so much, yeah, so much real. Um, and that's why, I mean, to me today, uh, and that was when I was working with, uh, with Alberto, uh, Mendez Villanueva in, uh, in, in Aspire, I was just starting slowly to to get into that, and it was just so super complex when you haven't when you had anyone able to help to explain you the stuff, and you just try to learn by yourself online, and it's just so complex at the start. You know, read this paper from in two thousand eight from Franco Imperizzeri, and he's showing some gray bars, some dots with uh, with error bars. Uh, the dots is outside the gray bar. He's happy. The, the dots is inside the gray bar is happy and he's talking about stats and he say fuck off where is the p-value <laughs> significant or not you know but starting you start to feel that that, that makes sense and you just get to sending emails to will and will uh, respond to emails never say hi never say thank you never you just respond to the email so why say hello why say goodbye you know so who's this guy who has probably 17 brains and so it's been such a and believe me, it took me years to really understand, uh, and I still haven't understood. I still don't understand uh, everything. I'm more a user, you know. I know how to use these spreadsheets, but I don't really understand everything. Um, so it took me uh, too long. But it took me some a lot of time. While I would say that the PhD student uh, that I, I co-supervised were probably more lucky because they had me to to translate. So they learn in three months. So it took me three years to learn. Good on them. Um, uh, but anyway, so uh, you start to understand that uh, a p-value is, doesn't help anything if you just want to to have a, a look and to have a, to make a decision about training, um, because p-value just tell you yes or no, but doesn't tell you how much. And most of the time, it could be yes if the response is super heterogeneous, or if you have a lot of subjects, you could have a training intervention or yeah, supplement that improves performance by 0.001%. So in practice, no one cares. But because you had a lot of subjects, uh, you're going to say, yeah, it works. And that's pro- that's pretty misleading. Um, at least if you had an effect size or a measure of magnitude, you will say it works, but the magnitude is uh, nothing, so forget. So at least start to be a bit better as long as you acknowledge magnitude. So I will say first thing is, if ever you use p-values, make sure you provide magnitude because at least that makes sense in terms of uh, of practice. Um, but obviously, I would never recommend anyone to to provide uh, p-values and effect size. I will just recommend people to forget forever the <laughs> the null hypothesis testing, just for the fact that you just again think about uh, you are talking to a coach, uh, you've done your in-house research. And this day you had uh, 12, 12 uh, players in your data set. And with these 12 players, you have a P of 0.07 or 006. So you have to say that this training intervention did not work. Um, the months after, you do the stats again, but you have one or two more players included. And from 0.07, it becomes 0.04, even though the magnitude of improvement is exactly the same. But now, because it's 0.4, you will say to the coach, actually, it, it works. While well, you just said it did not a month ago. Uh, but, and then the coach will say, but we had a 3% improvement last time. We have, again, another, uh, another 3% of improvement. So why did you change your mind? 
and you just look look super stupid. <laughs> Yo, so I think that's a that's a very good reason to a uh, good yeah, it's a good example to say that sample uh, the the, the p value is just a sample size dependent. So so it just it, it's a pain, you know. And and again, um, a p value when it's above uh, zero point zero point the, the critical threshold zero point zero five, you tend to say that there's no effect, but you never know if there's really no effect, or it's just because you were missing subject, and then uh, that's the story of the uh, lacking power, and you make what we call a type two error. So you you did you you were missing power. When you go back to using magnitude and inferences about the magnitude. So it's about you know saying it's uh, the effect is likely and likely, or it's uh, very likely possible. So you give it's not a yes or no, but it's more um, a progressive uh, with the highest the likelihood the the, the higher the, the, the yeah the likelihood of, of, of having a true effect um, with a, with a p value of uh, that is not significant. You will just say mm, nothing happened or there's no effect. When you go back to magnitude and inferences, you will say. Uh, there's no, there's unlikely an effect because the magnitude is too small to be meaningful. So my supplement improved performance by 0.2%. So it's a clearly trivial effect. So there's no effect. And then you can say it's clear if the confidence interval is short, is small enough, or it's unclear. But in that case, it's not, you're not saying there's no effect. You're just saying it's unclear. It means that I don't have, I'm not, confident enough in the decision because I don't have enough subject. And that's way, way more honest rather than saying there's no effect. You, you're going to say, I, 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 it's unclear, so I, I, I won't pronounce myself. And I think it's way more honest. I don't know if it's... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, and I think, again, uh, Will was saying um, uh, new hypothesis testing is... Um, Oh, what do you say that? Misleading, because of all the, the caveats we just mentioned. It's misleading. Um, Magnitude-based inference are probably harder, but way more honest. And I just totally agree with that with, that with him. You, 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 that just gives sense to, you, to your data. And then in terms of reporting, instead of saying it works or not, you could say it's possibly working or it's very likely working as well. That's just a, a different message as well. And I think coach practitioners can understand that. So there's just no way, I think, uh, like, as I said, in 2010 with Alberto, we said that we won't publish ever a paper with a p-value. And I've been withdrawing papers because that happens so often that you just send a paper for review. And I, that, that's another blog that I put online. It's called, uh, my, you see my comments, something like that, where I just copy and pasted the, the, the thousands of comments I had from reviewers who were just asking me to report some stats in the manuscript because they couldn't see a p-value. And it, it cost me a lot of rejections. And I even, as I said, I withdrew papers sometimes. They were just about to be revised. And editor were kind of asking, okay, good paper, guys. Um, can you just change the stat and provide some p-values? I said, no, sorry, I'm not publishing the papers, so withdrawing the papers, you know. Uh, I think you have to add a bit of balls to do that. Um, but if you really... Uh, if you really believe in something, you have to you have to do it completely, you know. And I fight it with a lot of coworkers um, uh, just because they they didn't agree with me on that on that matter. Oh, no, let's keep the p values because otherwise we're going to struggle to get the paper published. Okay, that's your problem. Just take my name off, and I've done that often as well. <laughs> so, 
you have some papers where I've been super, I've been involved, I've been collecting data, I've been writing the papers, but my name is not on the author list because they were still pushing to have a p-value, you know. And I think uh, that's that's the only way. If you believe in something, just just do it, you know. So while we're on that topic of stats and the kind of presentation style. Your another editorial of yours, uh, want to see my report, coach, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, thank you. Thank <laughs> you. Um, talk to us a little bit about, I mean, this is going on the more applied side, how we then present that data to coaches. What's your uh, experience and what's the advice to you from you to, to practitioners out there? Yeah, so I'm, I'm far from being an expert in data visualization. But I would say it just comes more for ex- from experience. And again, advice is from Will, you know. Um, I've been used to report, uh, I don't know, bar graphs with, uh, with uh, the labels uh, written vertically uh, underneath. And it will just tell me, um, I can't just uh, tilt my computer screen to read what you've written. And say, okay, fair enough. So just make sure that everything is written is uh, horizontal. Good point. Um, that obviously bars versus uh, reporting individual uh, points, that dots, that, that, that makes sense. Uh, make the most of colors, make the most of um, the simple rules, like uh, if it's different subject, you can't draw a line between them. That doesn't make sense. You should keep lines for trends. Uh, time uh, time series, for example. So there's a lot. Of, there's there is. I mean, there's a uh, some aspects that are just common sense or linked to the type of data, discrete versus continuous kind of stuff. And then it's more uh, things that can be uh, changed based on who is going to receive a, a report, for example. So there's a coach I was working with. Uh, he really wanted colors everywhere because he he loved colors. He wanted tables because he loved numbers. And then you know the coaches, they can't give a shit about a number, but they just want uh, graphs and trends. Uh, so I think after the general rules that are a bit common to every type of charts, you have to just to, again, enter into a communication with the people that receive the reports, could be a coach, could be a physio, and just ask them, what do they want to see? And I think that's not harder than that. But uh, that's why I don't believe in uh, just dropping um, dropping a report on a desk. But I believe in, uh, first of all, sitting with uh, with those guys, sitting... Uh, sometimes you can't you can't sit in them on desk because they're too busy or they don't think it looks good if you're the head coach to, to sit with a, with a sports scientist. But you might catch them at lunch. You might catch them when they get out of the shower. That's, that's, my, that's my best uh, window <laughs> to catch coaches. Uh, when they're scratching their balls, they are super. They have nothing else to do. So when they when they dry themselves, they have at least thirty seconds to listen to you. So yeah, that's a very good uh, good window. Um, yeah, so ask them what they want. And other people have been or other players have been working. Yeah, some of them they just want numbers. They want to know if they run thirty three meters more or less than last time. You know, it has to be super super precise. And others they just can't be bothered watching a paper a piece of paper. They want to listen. They want to hear what you think about the data. So just adapt yourself, you know? And But for that, you need to be immersed. You need to be, you need to be with those people. Uh, so it becomes more a, a social aspect of the, the thing, you know, getting a, a connection with those guys to understand. And again, I was talking earlier about that I, I unfortunately didn't learn enough through my, 
my studies uh, in the uni. Uh, that's another aspect that it's completely overlooked. Uh, how do you deliver data to to coaches, athletes, or supporting staff? You have to you have to make to make your 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 own strategy as well. Time, experience, obviously, humility. Imagine you've spent three days, four months, or you've been working on a certain report that you think is super good for years, and then you have the new there's another a new coach coming and say, don't understand your report. You have to swallow and say, no problem, let's change the report. You know, you have to accept that. Otherwise, you're just going into, going uh, into a wall and he won't read the report anyway. So it's sometimes difficult, you know, when you spend so much energy in something and people just don't 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 like it. You have to accept that, you know. Which leads me on very nicely into uh, another editorial of yours, um, looking at personality types. Now, I'm sure there's a there's part tongue in cheek. Um, with regards to this uh, editorial, but why did you feel the need to to write that? And I know you've touched on it uh, right at the start of our of our chat, but yeah, why did you feel the need to um, to write on that? Yes, uh, I, so that's just a short story on the side. So I was I I, I saw I, I caught up last week with uh, my former PhD uh, supervisor. I had two uh, co supervisors, two two ladies. One was a, a doctor, super doctor nutritionist, super excited about stats. She really gave me uh, she she gave she gave me the, the the will to always do better to like to set standards super high. She was very hard with me, but she gave me this, this drive to to do better um, and uh, or trying to obviously. Huh? And the other the other lady, way older, she was kind of. Uh, half of another mum or another grandma, she had uh, just an amazing personality, and she was just kind of helping me to swallow the pills from uh, from the other supervisor. You know, she was just just super nice. <laughs> uh, but both of them, for sure, they had uh, the best personality traits. And if you were to put them in one person, she, them, she, she would become the ideal person to me in terms of uh, character and attitude and um in so if we go back to to this paper that's that's the the type three people i i i describe um and so sorry i'm just trying to to get my head around what i wanted to say so when i saw her last week so i didn't i haven't seen her uh in person for about 10 years because i finished my phd 2004 and she was kind of laughing at me. She said, she said because she's, she's, now she's 75, but she's still pretty active. She's online. And she just said, oh, you know, I've, I've been trying to, to follow what you're doing now. Uh, so I was reading your editorial the other day. And no, you become, you are a, new, uh, you're a phys- philosopher. You, you stop now to, to work on physiology <laughs> or science. You become a philosopher. And I said, yeah, but fair enough. I'm glad that you read it because the person, the type three, it's, it's I, I wrote it thinking about you. So we cried, both of you, because I'm a very sentimental guy. So yeah, that's that's the idea behind the. the so yeah, so I, I don't know why I had to or I decided to write this at that moment. But when you try to write an editorial, you try to write something a bit a bit different, something that could make people think. That was the idea with the Houston. Say, okay, guys, just just get off the orbit. You know, that was a bit of a. That was yeah, that was the story with the conference as well. We can touch about that if you want. But I mean, yeah. So this editorial was more. Kind of a reflection of, on one side, the 
the, 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 the hundreds of emails I get every year of people willing to get an internship or willing to do stuff that I just, I'm just a bit uncomfort, uncomfortable with those people who are probably not blaming or not judging, but are probably what the, the people I, 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 I categorize, I type one, which who are more just waiting things to happen, but are not really putting the efforts and um, and the work to develop themselves, and they just think that the jobs and papers will be published by by chance or by luck, or they're gonna open the door one day and they will find something. And I, I, I'd like these people to understand that uh, there is a another another approach to life and another behavior to adopt to to get more better job and publish papers. And that's my top three of uh, the blend of my co-supervisor, where these people will be much more, obviously, willing to learn, willing to get so outside of the box or get outside of their comfort zone. Um, they will be open to uh, constructive uh, criticisms. Criti criti criticisms, they will be, obviously, humble. They will be happy to listen. They will be always willing to learn. And uh, so, yes, so... It, like for, for new students, uh, and that's the type of advice I wished I had earlier, but without having the advice, I had these two, two, two ladies that I could uh, try to identify myself. And obviously, I met a lot of, lot of people who played that role later to me. But just, just yeah, just, just put a little, a little bit of, of humility and just, uh, just, just work, just, just learn, just, uh, just, just travel, just uh, get out of the comfort. You know, that's just so important. So I really wanted to... As a, as a way to say thank you to, 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 to these ladies and other stuff, I wanted to, to, to comment on that. Um, and obviously, I couldn't miss the, 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 the other uh, archetype, which is those I call the, the type two, which is probably the type of people who lead or have been leading the show uh, in the academic world, a lot of editors and a lot of practitioners in, in elite sports. And... I know that when I uh, I tweeted a few extract of that, or I don't know, there was a few stuff online. I got a lot of uh, interaction with people saying, "Yeah, I, I think I know this type of type type two people in like we we know them as well, you know." And these type two people are more the the egocentric people that like they just they know everything. They don't they just know everything, so they just don't need you. They just don't. They will complain about you. They will blame yourself, and they will just. They will tick the box as long as they have their salary, as long as they are on the on the picture of the team, as long as they are on the board of the journal, as long as their comfort is safe. That nothing else matters. And the the, the 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 it's a pity that let's say I, if I categorize me, hopefully not as a type two, but uh, one trying to be three forever. Um, we have to deal with those guys every day because you are a young student, you submit your paper uh, with uh, MBI statistics to a type two reviewer who just loves p-value. He's, he's gonna reject your paper and he's, he's, gonna, he, he's gonna kill you and what can you do, you know? Um, working on the field, you're gonna have to struggle with working with colleagues who have such an ego that they just think that they're good enough and they just don't need to read the paper you send them. They just don't need to talk to you because they've been working here for 10 years or 15 years and they know how it is, you know. And we have to deal with those people and it's just uh, just hard. So 
I, I took some pleasure as well writing this uh, this piece, trying to describe these these people. It was kind of a kind of a, kind of a game, but uh, yeah. So uh, that's sometimes you know when you write things, it just helps you to to swallow some pills sometimes. And there was a bit that, that period I wrote that as well, you know. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So you, with the emails, the amount of emails that you get, what would impress you? Would any email impress you? What what would have to be on there for you to go? Oh, okay, I'm interested. I, I'm, I, I like what I'm hearing. Good question. I think uh, you, you like to see more than just uh, I've done a master, I've done that, I've done that. You like to see a bit the personality behind that. You like to see the 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 the, the energy, the curiosity. So like you, you got you got CVs like I've I was born in this city. I've done my master in this city. I've tried to do an intern in this an internship in this city, and now I want a big job. Uh, and then you have another one who's been traveling the world, who speaks three languages, who's been uh, and before doing sports science, he worked. Uh, I don't know. He's been counting the trees in uh, in Malaysia. Uh, you see, okay, so, uh, this guy at least he, he has some. There's something different. He's interesting. Yeah, of yeah. course. He's been, he's been, he's, he, he got out of the box, you know, um, especially, you know, when you see in every university, every year you get hundreds, hundreds of thousands of, uh, of students graduating and everyone now has a, not a PhD yet, but everyone has a master. Everyone has done a, a strength and conditioning course. So being out, getting out of the uni, you can say when you get your, your, your master, you say, oh, I'm one of the 3000 this year. Uh, but if you want to stay in your city, it's probably one club in your city. So how can you make it? It's just impossible. So you just have to to travel, get do do something, and on the different things that if I can talk again, not selfishly at all, but just talk a bit more about about me as well. One of the things that I completely overlooked uh, until recently was the importance of uh, of the language. Um, obviously. I try to speak English with uh, as I can French accent. I will never get rid of that. I thought one day <laughs> I would use it, but no, no way. Um, nah. at, least, at least English. But you know, I, I started to. I really wanted to start to to be better in English. Not when I was in uh, in in college or earlier. It's when I started really to coach. Like I was in my 18, 16, 17, 18. And I just realized that if I wanted to get more information about coaching, about conditioning, I had to, re I had to read some papers. And in France, we are definitely way, way behind the other countries. And the, the literature, the coaching literature in French, does, it's almost nothing, you know, it's zero. So if you want to learn something, you have to learn to read English to start with. So I developed my English because I wanted to read papers because I wanted to be a better coach, you know, or even coach myself. I mean, uh, a bit of both. And um, so that's what that's how I got I got into the English. And back to recently, so changing coach, whatever people I work with. Now I had to work with Spanish people, so I, I had to. I decided to start to learn Spanish, and I just can't. I'm just so happy now to to have made that that, that decision uh, because now I can I can kind of read read stuff in, in Spanish as well. And I found out there's a lot of really good blog on, on training in Spanish. Uh, so I get access to new contents that I didn't have access two or three years before. 
and it's just so so cool so so exciting um if i had more time in my plates if i didn't have my the family that i just love to spend some time with them with with, with my kids and my wife i would probably start to learn Japanese or Chinese, because I'm sure those guys, or Russian, you know, they have published so many stuff in their language that is still not accessible to us. And again, if you want to learn and grow, you have to find ways to get access to the information and through language, it's a, it's, it's a very good one. So, it, like I, I was talking about Alberto Mendez uh, when we spent five years together working in Aspire, Spanish, I'm French, we both spoke English for, for five years. And I was just such an idiot. I would have, I should have used this opportunity to to learn from him the Spanish. But at that time, we were busy with our stats, with our stuff, and I didn't really understand the importance of of speaking another language. But if I could 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 go back, I would speak. I would I would start other language uh, in college already. You know. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I'm I'm catching nearly an hour, but one thing I do want to just mention, and it's another little plug. For you um and that's your new book with uh former well podcast guest uh paul lawson just want to talk to us a little bit about that and when it's coming out and yes uh, journey what's going yes, on and no thanks for what's going on thanks for bringing that uh, up um that's all right. so that's probably uh, uh another big project in in our lives to uh, paul and myself um so we wrote these two pretty busy reviews in 2013. Uh, and again, with having this mind of trying to bridge the gap, trying to bring uh, information to to more people which are not who are not uh, into the, the, the reading, the, the papers, we thought, okay, best best thing is to, to write a book. More, more pictures, more examples, uh, more user-friendly. So it's more or less a big project where we have these two reviews put into 10 chapters um, in a friendly, accessible way. Plus, and I think that's even better, well, obviously way better than what we do, is that we have 20 invited, um, or 20, yeah, 20, 20 invited uh, elite coach or strength and conditioning working in, in elite performance to write um, a chapter about how they implement high-intensity training within their own sports and uh, we've just been so lucky so gifted to get uh, a yes from most of the people we we contacted um going from uh, um trying not to forget everyone but we got some pretty cool stuff from uh, uh the, the the spanish crew lorena torres uh xavier chilling for in basketball uh james fernandez amazing stuff on uh, on tennis we have carl peterson is crickets Baseball, Robert Butler. We have some American football, middle distance running. That's a that's one of my my former uh, uh, teacher at the uni, who's been coaching from the French national national runners. Amazing chapter middle middle distance, road running. That's uh, Jamie, one of my former PhD students, writing with uh, Carlos uh, Cavallero, who coached Da Costa, who broke the world record uh, back in 1993, I think. So we have. World Breaker Holder, uh, Field Hockey, Dave Hamilton, Ice Hockey, Road Cycling, Swimming. That's my mate, Mark Quad as well. That's been to something amazing. Triathlon, that, that's uh, another PhD that we co-supervise with, with Paul. That's Daniel Plouz. Nick Gill, Rugby. Um, rugby 7, it's my super mate, uh, 
Nick Poulos that I hope you're gonna manage to to, to get him on the podcast soon he's coming soon I'm telling you <laughs> uh, uh, cross country and a very very good chapter from a guest that you had just very recently uh, Duncan French he did a super super chapter on the combat sport as well so amazing I'm, 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 so when's I'm, that coming I'm, out when's it when's it supposed uh, to be coming out probably the- uh, we still need a, a year a year to get everything done because it takes a lot of time to edit and we still have some uh, guys a bit late to to, to submit their, their chapters so Aaron Kutz if you hear me please send us back your <laughs> chapter <laughs> yes good, no, good. No, super excited and thanks for giving me the opportunity to advertise this a little bit but yeah it should be a very good one That's and Paul has been has been doing an amazing editing job uh, because yeah he can write like I don't I don't know anyone working as being able to write as, as, as him and he's just uh, he writes super well so it's been an amazing job on that part as well so I'm, I'm super proud to to team with uh, with this guy nice so on the book theme I don't know if I asked you this before but is there any book or a couple of books that stands out in your uh, what that's influenced you the most over your career oh, good question actually yeah that's a good one uh, because I can I think we can draw a parallel with books and now with what we were discussing about uh articles and scientific papers because I've been probably trying to read two or three books a month for the last uh, 10 years and I, because you, every time you get something someone oh yeah you should read this book oh you should oh no you get Twitter people taking pictures of the book they read so I'll say, oh, if they read that that should be a good one so I think I've been trying to read everything but I don't often finish a book because after I think after a, a quarter or a third of the book I just believe I got more or less the, the main <laughs> and just and there's just so many to read they say okay yeah. I can't uh, you know so I would say I, I should say the, the book I finished which are probably less than 10 percent uh, and I would say that if I finished them that they were probably interesting enough for me to really push and finish them I don't know if it's a good way to say they would be more influential than others no Mm-hmm. That's the way to. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I finished last year. I finished uh, what's it called that the, the checklist uh, manifesto. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, who, uh, uh, was it Mladen no, who, no, who recommended uh, that? Uh, no, the, the author you mean? Oh no, sorry, it was Mladen who recommended it on Twitter or something a couple of ages ago, and I got it as well. Uh, um, I've got his uh, Atul Atul yes, Gawande. Yes, yes, yes. So I think it's yeah. a, it's an old book, you know. Uh, but that's on the top of just uh, understanding that it's important to have checklist, which you get after three pages. It's just uh, super uh, funny in terms of anecdotes, you know. You get uh, mm-hmm. so you you just yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's so I finished this one. I finished uh, Black Box Thinking as well. Which I thought pretty pretty interesting in terms of uh, learning from mistakes, and that just I think that's that's it's just so important, and it just that's the overall science process, you know, uh, learn from your mistake and have the balls to acknowledge if you've done something wrong because you're gonna learn from it, and I think that's it's just so common to some disciplines and so uncommon to other disciplines, especially like elite, sport, elite sports, people are, are just too frightened to uh, admit everything they do. They just hide everything because they're just afraid to be sacked. And uh, I think I really like this book because this gave me a bit more um, 
not or how do you say that uh, give me a bit more uh, trust in the process that's that's uh, yeah so black boxing I finished black box thinking I finished um, another simple one but it was easy to read power of the less power of the yes, less it's a super easy to okay. read uh, ah yeah another very another one that I really enjoyed to read uh, Alan McCall uh, the seven tips to become a great coach, something like that. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Just because uh, simple, super simple. Uh, his experience as a coach, things that he lesson that he learned that worked, that didn't work. Uh, simple, simple to read. And I think that's that's why there's a lot of so many books that I try to read, but I just it was just too complex to read. Obviously, I try to to read in English, which adds maybe bit of a brain uh, work for me <laughs> but like sinking um, uh, slow sinking fast for example everyone yeah it's just such a nice book fair enough but just too long too complex you just uh, you need six months to read this book you know so <laughs> so this is why again Paul Delace or the, the other one from uh, Alan McCall are just you know that's books you can read on the plane when you are on a, on a way trip you can read them in the bus you can read them on a on the metro and I like these books because you get a lot from them, but they are easy to read in terms of writing. So uh, we're back on uh, on having you. You probably need uh, we probably need the infographics on books as well, or uh, as they do a lot for summaries of books. You know. So we yeah no absolutely we, we are, yeah. we're back on the topic of uh, research papers that are too long and not accessible. I think there's a lot of books <laughs> are not accessible either because they're just too long. Yeah, you want Did the juice involved. Say again, sir. Get, get Jan involved. Yes, doing yes. the infographics for yes. books. Well, he's too he's too busy as well. But he's, yes. I can imagine. No. Yeah, I, I think we, you need a. Um, I think there's for for big books you you get a summary of books, like the mm-hmm. I, I found the the four hour body or the four four hour work from Tim Ferriss. I did yeah. read them, but I read the the summaries. And there's also obviously audio books when you're in the car yeah. to accompany yes. your podcast and stuff. Yeah, yeah. nice. Yeah. No, please, yeah. let's find a way to, to for me to finish the books, put it this way. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. But just to um, just to round up, where can people firstly get to know, uh, you've got a website of your own, then there's the new website, the new project, then there is where people can find you on Twitter. So three things. Yes. Um, personal website, uh, Martin. I think it's hyphenbichet.net. Uh, yeah. uh, Google it. Don't forget the double H. You'll, you'll find it. Uh, but it's to, to be honest, uh, we spent an hour talking about uh, having a sexy format. And uh, actually on my blog, I just paste <laughs> abstracts and I give the link for full text of my full papers. So I think I'm just shooting myself a bullet in the in foot, but that's the way it is at the moment. <laughs> it's just about at least having everything accessible uh, in terms of content, but the format is shit. But that's it. Um, so better in terms of format and everything, that's the new project of our lives with um, with Jan and Mathieu. So that's uh, sport performance. Uh, oops. Sport? No. What's the what's exactly? Sport. Sport performance uh, and science. Sci.com. S-P-S-R. So please uh, submit. Please read what we've done. Um, and then uh, what was the last uh, Twitter Twitter account? Uh, Mart one bush. Uh, 
uh, it uh, again. I think that that's Googleable, I guess. Uh, yes. But there's nothing super fancy as well because I'm most of the time just. Uh, retweeting stuff or if there is something published on my website or something published on the sports science report i just tend to retweet so not super innovative or new content on that but that's still the best way to reach me at least i use often twitter as a more as a direct messaging messaging stuff yeah when you don't get the phone numbers of people it's it's handy so yeah. Yes, that's it. Okay. Uh, better than that. Yeah. So, uh, don't send me emails, uh, please. Just to to, <laughs> to to process. I think Twitter note is good. Or no, obviously not. I'm kidding. Obviously, I, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm trying to respond. Uh, obviously, no, no. I don't want to look like oh, I'm too busy. I have too, too many emails because people love me too much. So no, no. Nothing that at all. No, no, no. Like, no absolutely not. I, 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 I to, to have a, you know inbox zero. So it's just impossible. But it's just impossible. That's another uh, in the orbit, you know. The concept is good, but you never make it. Never get there. Never get there. Sweet. Well, thank you very much for giving up your time, mate. Really appreciate that. No. And I'll I'll make sure all the numerous links that we've mentioned are on the website uh, so people can get links to your different editorials, um, website, new website, your website. Twitter account, et cetera, et cetera. All be on the all be on the site. Amazing. So people can get easy access. No, super cool. Cool. Well thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. No uh, problem. Pleasure. Not for talking with me because that's selfish, but thanks a lot for what you do for the podcast, for the as I said, the, the new content and uh no everything. Everything. And uh, every Appreciate time we, no, every it's... time we see each other, as you know, I like to hear the welcome. Uh, <laughs> that's, the, that's the special oh excellent excellent i do get that yeah i do get that quite a bit especially from mates taking the, no, sorry. Taking the no, piss no i like it <laughs> no it's good no i like it i like it no it's all good mate all good well uh thanks a lot for giving up your time and no, uh we'll definitely be speaking we'll definitely be speaking soon cheers yeah thank you thank you bye. cheers martin bye 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 Thanks for tuning in to episode 167 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the chat as much as I did with Martin. So it's incredible and uh, really humbling to get someone like Martin on the show who's got incredible experience in the field and also in research. So massive thanks to Valve Performance, Force Decks and Black Box for sponsoring this episode today. So you can check them out at valveperformance.com forstex.com and blkboxfitness.com respectively so thanks again for your support i hope to um, bring you some more amazing guests uh, in the next couple of weeks and i will chat to you soon